Our four-part series is entitled Holiness, Healing, Deliverance, and Prosperity. Holiness, Healing, Deliverance, and Prosperity. The foundation of this four-part series comes out of Psalm chapter 103, verse 2. And it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and who satisfies your soul with fatness. First of all, he forgives all your iniquities, or he forgives all your sins, which means he gives the gift of holiness. He takes away our sins and brings us into a place of rightness with God. How many know that you can never work your way to salvation? You can never do enough good deeds. You can never give enough uh, gifts to poor people. You can never help enough old ladies across the street to make up for the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is, when we stand before God, there is no amount of good deeds, no number of good works that we could ever do to make up for the fact that we have rebelled against God and sinned against Him. But He gives us the gift of salvation freely through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, not by our works, but because of the works of Jesus Christ, what He did for us, it's not what we did, it's what He did, and that's what saves us. Amen? Amen. And so first of all, He gives us the gift of holiness. That is, He brings us to a place of right standing with God. He wipes away all of our sins. He cleans the, cleans the slate and says, I'm going to give you an opportunity to start over. He forgives all your iniquities. Past, present, and future. I love that, that line of, of the song, It is well with my soul. It says, My sin, oh the joy of this glorious thought. My sin, not the part but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. It means that the moment I came to faith in Jesus Christ, and I believed what He did for me on that day when He hung on a cross between earth and heaven, with nails in His hands and feet, and a crown of thorns upon His head, the day that I came to faith in the cross of Jesus Christ, at that very moment, my sin was taken from me, both past, present, and future, and before God, I was made clean. It means that when God sees you, He sees you only through the blood of Jesus Christ. He doesn't see your sin, and He takes it and puts it in the sea of forgetfulness. You know, there's a lot of believers in the body of Christ that are repentant of stuff that God doesn't even remember anymore. You know, there's a lot of human beings that have good memories, but I think God has a little bit better of a memory than we do, right? But there are certain things that he doesn't remember anymore. He says, I will forgive your lawless deeds and remember your iniquities no more. means you go to God to repent of something that he already forgave you for. He said, I'm sorry, I don't remember that. There's a hole in my memory. You ever had just a lapse in your memory? You said, I, I, for some reason, I forgot the whole third grade. I mean, I remember the second grade. I remember the fourth grade. But for some reason, something happened to me in the third grade that was traumatic. God says there was something traumatic that happened, so traumatic that I forgot all your sin. Oh, that's right. That's what happened. My son died on the cross. And it was so traumatic. It was so traumatic that it caused God to repress the memory of all of your sin. He says he forgives all your iniquities. You know, we can, we can forgive, but we can't forget. Somebody hurts you, you say, I forgive you, but I'm watching you. Mm -hmm. And we love to bring it up, don't we? Say, yeah, because I remember the last time. <laughs> you know, you're not going to do me like you did last time, right? But God forgets. He's the only being who has the power to forget. He completely forgets it. It just, it, it escapes him. 
Amen. He forgives all your iniquities and he heals all your diseases. It means that as surely as he bore your sin on the cross, just as surely he bore your sickness on the cross, he bore your illness on the cross, and by his wounds we are healed. Amen. That means that the name of Jesus is more powerful than cancer. It means that the name of Jesus is more powerful than heart disease. It's more powerful than AIDS. It's more powerful than any power of sickness or disease. The name of Jesus is all-powerful, and every knee must bow, and every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thirdly, he redeems your life from the pit, says the psalmist, which means he delivers you. He sets you free. It means that nothing can hold you in bondage when you know the truth because Jesus says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And there's a lot of us believers in Jesus Christ walking around thinking we're bound, thinking we're in bondage and confessing bondage and establishing ourselves. And then we establish each other in bondage. Yeah, you got this bondage in your life. You, you know, we were talking this morning uh, uh, in our foundations class about knowing one another by the Spirit rather than according to the flesh. Paul says, therefore, we no longer regard anyone from a fleshly perspective. Knowing each other by the Spirit means we only know what God is doing in each other's lives. It means I don't see what the devil's done. I don't see what the devil is doing. I'm not looking at the devil. I'm not worried about the devil. And I'm not looking at you. And I'm not looking at what you've done or how you've messed up in your life the only thing i see is the work of the spirit of god in your life because whom the son sets free he is free indeed and when we become aware only of what jesus has done suddenly we begin to see each other at a, at a higher level you know there are people you just don't like come on oh it's just me every human being has a personality how many have no personality here raise your hand Every human being has a personality, and there's something called personality clash. And what personality clash is, is when you meet another human being who has a personality that's opposite of yours. It, it doesn't mean, we, what we like to think is, oh, they got issues. No, their issues and your issues are at odds with each other, that's all. Because if you didn't have no issues, nobody would rub you the wrong way. You've got to have issues in order to get rubbed the wrong way, because there wouldn't be no wrong way in you. Listen, there, there are folks that I meet that just rub me the wrong way. And I think, oh, let me just go the other, the other direction. Lord, deliver me from this person. Can I get a witness? But that's because I'm knowing them in the natural and not in the spirit. What happens when the Holy Spirit... Listen, I'm, I'm going to preach a message one day called the revelation of man. We not only need God to reveal himself to us, we need God to reveal each other to us. You have no clue who you're sitting next to until the Spirit of the Lord opens your eyes and you begin to see that person by the Spirit and suddenly you see something, you see the work of God in that person's life and suddenly you know them at a higher level. I don't know your mistakes anymore. I don't know your shortcomings anymore. I don't know your problems or your issues anymore. All I know is what the Holy Spirit showed me about you and when He looks at you, He doesn't see a whole bunch of baggage. He sees a son or a daughter who's been made free. I love the fact that when Gideon was in the wine press threshing his wheat like a little punk, little coward, scared to death of the Amalekites and the Midianites that were stealing their harvest every year. So he just gathers a little bit of wheat, runs into the wine press where there's no wind, and like a fool, he's trying to thresh his wheat, throw it up in the air. Now when you thresh wheat in the ancient world, they still do this in Ethiopia. You take a bunch of wheat, you throw it in the air, the wind blows the chaff away, and the kernels of wheat are denser, so they fall right down to the ground. And that's how you get rid of the chaff, right? Well, he's in the wine press inside. How many know there's no, there's no wind in the wine press. He's throwing it up, and the wheat and the chaff go up, and the wheat and the chaff come down. 
and the wheat and the chaff go up, and the wheat, like a fool, just looking stupid in there, just thresh, thresh, it's an exercise in futility. That's what it's like to try to handle your stuff in secret. You say, I'm going to hide in this little wine press and try to thresh my wheat. And he's stuck with a mixture of wheat and tares because there's no wind in the wine press. You say, well, I'm not going to tell nobody about this issue. I'm just going to deal with it on my own. And you're just in secret throwing it up in the air and it's falling back to the ground. And you wonder why? Because the Spirit of the Lord has got to get you out of the place of hiding where the wind of the Spirit can blow it away. That's why the first step to deliverance often is exposure. The Holy Spirit has to expose you and get it out in the open because if He can get you outside, the wind of the Spirit can blow the chaff away and He can set you free. But watch this. When the angel of the Lord exposes Gideon, how many know the Lord is not afraid to show up in your hiding place? We talked about the burning bush. You know, God comes to Moses in a burning bush. Remember where Adam and Eve hid when they heard God walking in the garden? They jumped behind a bush. And the burning bush represents God invading your hiding place. He sets it on fire. <laughs> Say, you're hiding behind that bush, and all of a sudden it's set on fire. And God says, I'm here too. You can't hide from me. Hello? I love the fact that when God came to Abraham, he said, wait here, Lord. Hello? He fills the heavens and the earth. There's no waiting here. David said, if I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I go out in the ocean, you're there. If I go into the darkness, you're there. Darkness and light are alike. You can't hide from him. Where can I go from your presence? Where can I? There's nowhere you can run. He's there. But when the angel of the Lord shows up in Gideon's wine press, he doesn't say, you little punk. You scaredy cat. You coward. I'm so sick and tired of cowardly servants. Will you get out of this wine press? Nothing's going to happen as long as you're in here. No, the angel doesn't say anything like that. You know what he says? Greetings, mighty warrior. Why? Because he knows him by the Spirit. He knows he sees him the way God sees him. And God, when God saw Gideon, he never saw a punk or a coward. You know what he saw? A mighty warrior. Even though Gideon was acting like a coward and a punk, God never saw it. He only saw the mighty warrior that just didn't know who he was yet. You know what? We, I'm sick and tired of believers, believers establishing one another in the work of the enemy. What do you see when you look at another human being? Even people who don't know Jesus Christ, do you, have you learned to know them by the Spirit yet? What does God see when he sees the person next to you? That's how we're supposed to see each other. And you know what God sees? He sees freedom. Because he looks at all of humanity through the blood of his son Jesus. And he's just waiting for each and every one of us to see ourselves and to see each other through the blood of his son Jesus. And through the work of the Holy Spirit. And then we'll begin to speak freedom over one another. And so there's deliverance. That's one of the benefits. Not only holiness, not only healing, but deliverance and freedom. And finally today we're talking about the last benefit. He says, not only does he redeem your life from the pit, but he satisfies your soul with fatness. Mmm. Now, I, he's been satisfying my body with fatness, but I, I want him to satisfy my soul <laughs> with fatness. What does it say in the NIV there in Psalm 103, verse 3? Uh, put it up for me. Uh, it, it doesn't say fatness there. Here it is. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That is, he prospers you. He increases you. How many know that God wants to prosper you? 
He wants to increase you in every way. Now listen, we're going to open our heart to some things today because I, there's, there's a real work of the Spirit of God. The reason we're talking about these things is because God is getting ready to release a wave of every kind of increase through the body of Christ, but our hearts have to be open to receive it because if your heart is closed to it, it's going to bounce off you and keep going. And the person on the left will get it, the person on the right will get it, but you'll miss it because your heart is closed to it because you think God doesn't want to do it. You know, yesterday, Alicia preached in our uh, preaching practicum in our pastoral ministries class. She brought it. It was awesome. And by the way, everybody that preached brought it. It was awesome. There were, there were eight preachers yesterday that just brought little five-minute messages, and it was very, very powerful. But Alicia, what she said struck me. She said, open to Jeremiah 29, 11. And it says, I know the thoughts that I have towards you, thoughts of good. I, I looked at it in the Hebrew last night. That word thoughts, it literally means designs. I know the designs that I have designed for you, says the Lord. And listen to what his design is. To prosper you and not to harm you. God has designed you to prosper. You have been designed for holiness, healing, deliverance, and prosperity. God has not designed you or created you for suffering or for evil or for sickness or for poverty or for bondage. You are not designed for that. But he said, let me tell you about the designs that I've designed you for. I've designed you for to prosper you and not to harm you. And this is what Alicia said. She said he could have stopped with to prosper you, but he added, and not to harm you. And she said, it's interesting to me that he said, and not to harm you. And what it tells me is how many of us really believe that God desires to harm us. Isn't that good? As soon as something bad happens, we call it an act of God. Even unbelievers will call a tragedy and a disaster. That was the hand of God. Why? Because we just have this innate way of thinking that if anything bad happens, it's God's fault. God want, And everybody's mad at God about it because we think that's what God wants is to destroy me. Because it's good for me. He's teaching me a lesson. He's paying me back for my sin. He's building my character through it. And so he's blessed me with cancer and with... <laughs> And poverty. But listen to what the Lord says. To prosper you and not to harm you. I've designed you to prosper. Now we're going to get into this a little bit. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 28. This is, wow. I, get, I, I just want to shout every time I read this passage of Scripture. I just want to throw my hands up and shout. I just, <laughs> it makes me want to shout. <laughs> throw my hands up and shout. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 1 if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commandments I give you today the Lord your God will set you on high we talked about what it means to be set on high it means out of the reach when God sets you on high, he sets you out of reach. It means the devil can jump, but he can't reach you. And, you know, when you've when you got to reach that, that pot and it's out of your reach, you call somebody taller. The devil has nobody taller that he can call. You just can't be reached. God says, I'll set you on high. I'll set you on high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings, say blessings, will come upon you and accompany you. Not just come upon you momentarily. 
We like to talk about seasons. I'm in a season of blessing right now, as if, God, if, that, as if that season's going to end, and now God's going to take me into a season of poverty. I'm in a season of wholeness, as if that season's going to end, and God wants to take me to a season of sickness. My wife and I are in a good season right now. Whenever God does something good in our lives, the first thing we like to think is, uh-oh, look out, because the devil's coming. Uh-oh, watch out. I know the devil don't like this. I know something bad's getting ready to happen. And we just start believing that anything good is temporary and anything bad is permanent. Oh, okay, now that something bad's... Okay, I knew it was coming. I didn't know what it was, but I knew the devil was coming. I knew something was going to go wrong. And it always happens in threes. So two more things are coming. See where our faith is? No expectation or confidence that God has designed us for good, but complete confidence in everything evil that the devil has designed for us. Hmm. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you. I want to be accompanied by blessing. I want blessing in my entourage. Do you know there's an entourage that follows every believer? David said, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I look back and who's following me? Goodness, mercy, and blessing. They're coming with me. Let's go. This is my posse. This is my crew. They go wherever I go. When I get on a plane, I need four seats. One for me, one for goodness, one for mercy, and one for blessing. How many rooms you need, pastor? I need four rooms in this hotel. No, no, no. They're going to stay in the room with me. Abraham and Lot were so blessed that the land couldn't support them anymore. And Abraham said, Lot, which way do you want to go? You pick. You tell me. If you go to the right, me and the blessing are going to the left. If you go to the left, me and the blessing are going to the right. See, the blessing accompanies me. It goes where I go. It's in my entourage. Come on, somebody. Mm. Oh, I just want to make sure I'm in the perfect will of God because if I step one iota to the right, the blessing's gone. And it accompanies me. Even if I make a mistake, it accompanies me. Even if I go wrong, Abraham went down to Egypt and lied. And the blessing still accompanied him. <laughs> he said, she's my sister. <laughs> and he came back more blessed than he was. Don't get me wrong, he struggled, but he was blessed in the struggle. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 3. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. You see, uh, there's a city blessing and there's a country blessing. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Blessed in the suburbs and blessed in the ghetto. Blessed in the hills and blessed in the flatlands. <laughs> blessed on the east coast and blessed on the west coast. I don't care if I'm on the east side or the west side. I don't care if I'm in Wisconsin. I don't care where I'm at. The blessing is going with me. If I'm in South America, I got the Chicano, the Chicano glory. Verse 4, the fruit of your womb will be blessed. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. Look at your neighbor and say, the fruit of your womb will be blessed. This is one, listen to me, this is one the devil wants us to leave out. Listen to what Pharaoh said to Moses. Moses says, let my people go. And when Pharaoh started to break down, he said, okay, let the men go, but leave the women behind. Moses said, eh. 
Pharaoh came back and said, okay, let the men and women go, but leave the children. Do you hear this proposition of Satan? Okay, I'll let you be blessed, but it's going to cost you your marriage. I'll bless you, but you've got to be willing to sacrifice your kids. And then here's the third one. Pharaoh said, okay, take the men, women, and children, but leave your cattle and livestock behind. Leave your possessions. The devil says, okay, I'll allow you to be blessed. I'll allow the blessing of the Lord, but it's going to cost you all of your finances. You're going to be poor and broke for the rest of your life. And Moses said, heck to the no. Listen, Pharaoh, check it out. Every man, every woman, every child must go, and every animal, every sheep, every goat, every oxen, not a hoof will be left behind. That's what he said. Not a hoof will be left behind. He said, we're taking everything. And Pharaoh, not only are we taking all our stuff, we're taking your stuff too. You know why the devil wants you to think he can take your stuff? Because he's afraid you're going to take his stuff. And as long as you're just trying to watch over your stuff, you're not taking the devil's stuff. You know, whenever the devil speaks to me and says, I'm taking your stuff, I start taking his stuff. People of Israel were getting ready to go, and God said to Moses, now tell the people to start asking for silver and gold. He said, you're going to plunder the Egyptians. I don't know about you, but I'm going to plunder the devil. Okay, let's get back to the book. Let's see what the book says. It's like the good book says. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in, blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They'll come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he's giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. When? When you're blessed. Verse 11. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity. Look at your neighbor say abundant prosperity. A lot of people say, well, he'll only give me what I need. I just know he only gives me what I need. I say, Lord, don't give me too much, but just make sure to give me what I need. I just want what I need. I just thank God that every month I make to bring in just enough to pay the bills, and as long as I have exactly what I need, never a penny more and never a penny less, praise God, that's all I need. He says, no, 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 that's not my design. Because if you only have what you need, you'll be stuck with what you need, and you'll never be able to bless anybody else. God's desire is not simply to bless you, but to bless you to be a blessing. To give you so much overflow that you can scatter abroad your gifts to the poor. That you don't have to think. We've been talking about the liberty of the spirit. You know poverty is about restriction. You know, when my wife and I think about wealth, we think about the ability to bless the work of the Lord. That's what we think about. I see somebody struggling, trying to make it through Bible college. And my wife says, don't you wish we could just pay their education? I see somebody, you know, struggling, he's got an obvious call to serve the Lord. So don't you wish we could just hire them, bring them on staff, give them a salary, and let them just serve the Lord? You see somebody struggling, wanting to go on the mission trip, don't you wish we could just pay for their mission trip? You know, you see, we're just, you know, but there's a restriction. 
But when we step into liberty, when we come to the place of liberty, it's not about fat catting. It's about being able to scatter abroad gifts. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I wanted for. I want to be able to scatter abroad. I want to be able to send blessings abroad. I want to say, that church is struggling. Let's bless that church. These people are struggling. Let's bless these people. Let's scatter the blessings of the Lord. Come on, somebody. That's what happens when the Lord sends abundant blessing, abundant prosperity. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, the crops of your ground, and the land he swore to your forefathers to give. You know why there's so much detail in this passage? I mean, he is absolutely, he gives minute details about the ways in which the Lord will bless you. You know why? Because we're so inclined to restrict the blessing of the Lord to one area. We're so inclined to take God's blessing and put it in a box and say, I know the Lord wants to bless me spiritually. And especially in the body of Christ, we love to spiritualize everything. So what does this mean in the spirit when it says he'll give me abundant prosperity? Does it mean he'll increase my heart and give me more right? Yes, but it also means he's giving you money. We have worked so hard. Listen, let let me just be real with you. The body of Christ has worked hard to demonify Scripture. Why? Because there's been so much abuse of the concept of financial blessing, and it's been used to manipulate people. It's been used to exploit people, and so we're scared to death to talk about God blessing us financially in the church unless it's low-level blessing. (laughs) I mean, if God bless you with $10 worth of chicken... You will testify about that. Praise God! Who had no food for my family and somebody dropped off $10 worth of chicken. Hallelujah! We just keep it at low-level financial blessing. But we're so afraid of financial prosperity. We're scared to death of it. We have worked hard to demonify Scripture. I've read some of these guys and some of these theologians and Bible commentators and scholars and preachers who take every passage that talks about financial blessing and so works it and exegetes it and theologizes it and spiritualizes it to, to the point where there's absolutely no promise in Scripture of financial blessing. And it's wrong. It's in the Bible. That's why he's very clear here. Let me tell you what God will bless. The flock, your flocks, your herds, your womb, your kneading trough, your water pot, your animals, your silver, your gold. When you go in, when you come out, your house, your wife, your mama them, your brother them. He's going to bless everybody, everything. Come on, somebody. Look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Go back there. We, we read it earlier. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We read this earlier. Look at verse 10. It says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. That sounds very spiritual, right? He's going to enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He's going to increase your store of seed. We can say that's spiritual seed, right? Look at verse 11. You will be made rich... In every way. 
You've got to begin to open your heart to every form of prosperity. Every form. You've got to begin to open your heart to it. Every, every way. You will be made rich in every way. Every way. If there is one aspect of increase and wealth that your heart is closed to, it's going to bounce off, off of you when it comes. There's a wave of blessing coming to the body of Christ, but God says you've got to open your heart to it. However, there is a qualification here. So that you can be generous on every occasion. Riches come with great responsibility. You know, the Lord spoke to me years ago and he said, Benjamin, I'm going to send millions of dollars through your hands. But it better get to where I tell you it's supposed to get to. Look at Matthew 19, verse 23 and 24. We're going to break this down. Let me tell you why this type of blessing eludes so many of us in the body of Christ. And let me just say it this way. God will not bless you with that for which he will have to judge you. If God knows that you will not obey what he says, he will not speak to you out of his grace. Say, why won't God speak to me? He's having mercy on you. He knows you ain't going to do it. So he's saying, if I speak to you, I'm going to have to judge you later. And so I'm, I'm preserving you. And when I see that change in your heart where you actually come into submission to me, then I'll speak to you. James said in James chapter 2, he says, you have not because you ask not, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you might spend it on your pleasures. That he say, well, why, why can't I step into this place of financial prosperity? Because you're still so self-centered, you're still so bent on self-preservation, self-gratification, and self-actualization that if God blessed you with that kind of wealth and that kind of riches, it wouldn't make it into the kingdom. You would just have a bigger house and a bigger car and a greater life, and, and, and you would be so bent on it, you would be, and, you would, and you would control it. Look at Matthew chapter 19. I love this passage. Verse 23. Now this is after Jesus speaks to the rich young ruler. You know, he comes and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. And he says, yes, these I've kept since my youth. And, and Jesus says, good. Now here's one more thing you lack. Give up everything. Sell everything you have. Give the money to the poor. Come follow me and you'll have riches in heaven. And the man turned and walked away because he had great possessions. And then Jesus says this in Matthew uh, 19.23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. There's a lot of commentators that say there was a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle. And that gate in Jerusalem was so small that it was very difficult for camels to get through. And in order for a camel to get through, the camel had to have all of the baggage taken off of it. And then it had to get down on its knees and crawl through that gate on its knees. And what Jesus is saying is if you want to get into the kingdom of heaven, you've got to have the baggage taken off of you, and you've got to get on your knees and crawl in. But guess what? That's historically inaccurate. There was no such gate in Jerusalem, ever. You know what Jesus was saying? You ever held a needle before? See how small that eye is? So it's easier to take a camel and shove it through there than to get a rich man in the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about a real needle. He's not talking about a gate. In other words, he's not saying it's difficult. He's saying it's impossible. And you know what the disciples say to that? 
Lord, then who can be saved? The disciples got the point. They didn't say, yeah, I don't like those rich people either. You know what they said? We're in trouble too. Because if you possess anything, anything, you know, you say, well, well, I'm not rich. Guess what? If you're American, you're rich. If you grew up here, you're wealthy. You know where you're sitting having church? <laughs> yeah, we go to third world countries where it's 110 degrees outside. They got no air conditioning in the church. They pack them in. And we're up preaching, you know. <laughs> you feel like you're dying. You're sitting in a nice air conditioned, nice padded seats. Ain't no padded seats in Neos. Do you have a toilet in your house? No? Does it flush? Do you have a sink with running water and soap? Did you take a shower this morning? Don't answer that. <laughs> did you walk six hours to get here? Or did, you take, did, you, did you drive in your nice car? You're wealthy. Do you have one, more than one pair of clothes? See, when we go to the third world, they think we are wealthy beyond their wildest imagination. They talk, we're thinking, I'm not wealthy, but compared to this guy, I'm filthy rich. Filthy. The only time we experienced hunger was when we didn't have the time to stop and pick up something <laughs> to eat. And typically, it's simply because we're still trying to decide what we're going to eat. <laughs> you know, We've got all of these options. Let's see, do I feel like Mexican or Italian? I think the Holy Spirit's talking to me about Chinese food, but I'm not sure. I feel a moving just happening in my spirit. You call a friend, I need some wisdom. Too many choices. And we're disappointed because the service wasn't quick enough. I saw that waitress. She looked over at me three times, pretended she didn't see me. Her tip is going to suffer for that. See, I start at 20%. Every waitress starts out with a 20% tip for me, but she gets dings. I had to ask for water three times. Ding, 19%. <laughs> ask for Tabasco sauce, never came. Ding, 18%. <laughs> She better get her act together quick because it's diminishing. It's all in a, it's, we're in a recession. <laughs> i got to save every penny I can. Come on, somebody. But, but here's the point. The point the disciples, they said, who can be saved? And Jesus says, you got it. You're right. You can't. Nobody can. With man, it's impossible. I don't care if you take off all your baggage and crawl on your knees. You're not getting in the kingdom. I don't care if you, you, you repent and you cry and you weep and you do every good deed you know how to do. I don't care if you sell everything you have and give it to feed the poor. There's a lot of people who have done that in history who did not know Jesus Christ. With man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so Jesus is not speaking against riches. A lot of people have taken this passage to mean what Jesus was saying is make sure to live a simple lifestyle and make sure that you have low-level financial blessings. Make sure that you don't have the means to bless anybody. It's not what he's saying at all. He's simply saying that unless you're willing to turn to God, I don't care if you're rich or poor, it's impossible. 
However, there is a general rule here that is harder. The richer you are, the more difficult it becomes because the richer you are, the, the greater your tendency to think that you got it all together. Hardest people to bring into submission are rich people. Got a lot of friends who tell me, yeah, rich people come in, they try to run the church. They think their money gives them the right to tell me what to do. I had a friend who said we had a millionaire come into our congregation and he believed in tithing. Now that's rare. Very rare. I'll give an offering here and there, but I could, I'm going to control it. It's under my control, and I give a designated offering. I'm giving this to this. Um, there's no submission in that. It's still under my control. But he said, this millionaire came in. He was a tither. We were so excited. I mean, the offerings changed. <laughs> when you got somebody making four or five million dollars a year, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a you know, four or five hundred thousand dollar a year tithe. The offering changes. It looks a little different. So when you go from bringing in $5,000 a Sunday and barely paying the bills and barely making ends meet to all of a sudden, now we got some vision. Now we can reach this community. Now we can do more mission trips. Now we can build orphanages in the third world. You know, now we can, now we can do the work of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. All of a sudden, things change and, until we put a Coke machine in the lobby. He said, the man walked into my office and put, pounded his fist on my desk and said, until that Coke machine leaves the lobby, I'm not tithing anymore. You show me that in Scripture. Where suddenly, because you got money, you got the right to run the church and to tell the pastor what to do. And the pastor said, okay. He said, so you're going to get rid of the Coke machine? He said, nope. We don't need your tithe that bad. And the man left, and he left the church. Listen to what Paul says in, where is it? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Paul is telling Timothy how to handle wealthy people that come into the church. Look what he says. Oh, I love this. <laughs> 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich. Command them. Command them. Give them commands. Command those who are rich in this present world. Are you willing to be commanded? Are you willing to come into complete submission? Because if not, God probably just not going to bless you in that way. And if he does, he's going to have to judge you for it later. You know what they did in the early church? They, they would, they, people who had investment properties would sell it and go lay the money at the apostles' feet which was an act of complete submission, it said, I'm going to surrender this to the work of the Lord. I know that God has blessed me for the sake of his kingdom. You know, Rick Warren sold like, I don't know, 100 skillion books? Like 40 million copies of his book? Do you know how much you make if you sell 40 million books? You get 2 to $3 a book. That's your royalties. Now, if you sold 40 million books and you get $3 a book, how much is that? $120 million. You know what Rick Warren did? He gave 90% of it to the work of the Lord. He says, I'll live on a tithe. Now, don't get me wrong. He's still doing better than me. <laughs> but he could have went out and bought a $40 million estate. 
and 12 Bentleys. James said, you ask and receive not because you ask for the wrong reason. You're thinking about fat catting. You're home dreaming about basking in luxury instead of the kingdom. I had somebody say, man, if, if I had $15 million, I don't know what to do with it. I said, I do. I'll tell you what to do with it. See my feet? Lay it right there. That's enough for about a couple months of my vision. I got a $2 billion a year vision for the kingdom, not for me. For the kingdom. And if we get kingdom minded, listen, there, God is raising up in these last days end time financiers who are going to take the work of the kingdom, who are going to finance it. There are apostolic leaders in the body of Christ whose vision has come to a standstill because of lack of finances. Meantime, the end time financiers are in the body of Christ are holding on to it. But God is raising up a group of end-time financiers in these last days who are going to release it for the benefit of the work of the kingdom to see souls saved, to see lives changed, to see the kingdom of God expand to the ends of the earth. Do you want to be one? Do you want to be one? That's what I want. I want to be one. I'm not, I'm not interested in luxuriousness. I'm interested in seeing the kingdom of God expand without limitation. I'm interested in hearing God say, I want this building for my kingdom, and being able to speak and say, buy it. I'm interested in hearing God say, I want to do this outreach in this city, and writing the check and saying, do it. That's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in seeing the kingdom work expand to the ends of the earth. Okay, we're going somewhere. So James 2.24 says, You have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask the wrong way for the wrong reason. You ask for it for yourself. Scripture says, Those who want to get rich fall into a snare in every trap of the devil. Those who want to get rich just to get rich, they fall into a snare and a trap. Listen, listen, listen to the background of this Matthew 19 passage. Do you know that the, the Hebrew, the Jews living in Jerusalem in Jesus' day, they believed that the natural result of righteousness was wealth and health. They believed that if you live righteous, the natural result was wealth and health, and that if you were sick or poor, it was because of sin. And so there was an arrogance that came with wealth and health. It said, well, see, this is God's stamp of approval on my life. And then you look at people who are poor and sick, and you look down on them and say, well, that's because you ain't living right. In John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples are walking by, and they see a man blind from his mother's womb, and they say, who sinned, him or his mama? Jesus said, no, that's not what this is about. The Pharisees who thought they were righteous, Jesus speaks to the poor people and says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you ain't getting in. Jesus reverses it. He says, just because you got money doesn't mean God approves of you. And just because you're sick doesn't mean God doesn't approve of you. That's not what it's about. There's only one thing that causes God to approve of you, and that's whether or not you believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, who came and died on the cross. It's not about setting up a standard and saying, if you really got faith, you'd be whole. And if you really got faith, you'd be rich. That's not what it's about. 
It's about faith in Jesus Christ and being in submission to Him and doing what He wants, when He wants it done, and how He wants it done. It's about walking in full submission to Jesus Christ. But once I come to that place of submission to God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, then He's looking for me to open up my heart to every form of His blessing. Why? Because the house of God is the gate of heaven. And what He's looking for me to be is a gate. He's saying, I've got resources that I want to release into the earth, but are you willing to be a gate? He's looking for gateways in the earth. The problem is we close the gate. I get it, and I close the gate, and I keep it to myself. Yeah. But it says, are you willing to be a gateway? Yeah. Open your heart. Open your heart to my resources. We're so bent on self-preservation, self-gratification, and self-actualization that the Lord has to put a cloud over us to protect us from his own judgment. But when we relinquish our right to control over our own resources and our own destiny, when we lay it down and say, Lord, here am I. Use me. Send me. You know what? When we get to heaven, the streets are made of gold. The gates are made of a pearl. You want to you talk about luxuri luxuriousness? You ever seen a gate made out of a one pearl? I can't even imagine. That's a big old pearl. <laughs> what is that? Oh, that's a gate. What? Man, these streets are nice. I've got to take off my shoes to walk on the street. That's what we're destined for. But God is saying, those are the riches of the kingdom of heaven, but I want it to be on earth as it is in heaven. That's my will. When my kingdom comes, it will be on earth as it is in heaven, and I want to release those resources into the earth through you. God has to put a cloud over us because our hands are too sticky. He pours out blessing and we say, thank you. but he's looking at open-handed believers that say, here I am. Use me. Use what I have. My heart is open. God doesn't just want to heal you. He wants to make you a channel of his healing. He doesn't just want to save you. He wants to make you a channel of his salvation. He doesn't just want to deliver you. He wants to make you a channel of his deliverance. And he doesn't just want to prosper you. He wants to make you a channel of his prosperity for the sake of his kingdom in the earth. But he's looking at your heart. Bow your heads.